Hello and welcome to Citizen Jane. I'm Dancy. I'm Cash. I'm Veronica. This is the Citizen Kane of podcasts. <laughs> and today we are talking about action movies. Specifically, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, the second one. And Mission Impossible, Fallout, the sixth one. Mm-hmm. That's the full title. Today we're going to talk about the genre, the character, and the bad guys. We're going to end by giving out awards for superlatives, most satisfying fight scene, and most troubling. We didn't specify what was most troubling. We're just leaving it (laughs) open. We'll figure it out. It's ominous. (laughs) And then we'll conclude, as always, by reflecting on the approach that we take. Okay, so let's do some plot summaries. One of the movies we watched was the sequel to the reboot of Charlie's Angels that came out in the early 2000s. It's called Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. It stars Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Demi Moore, Justin Theroux, Bernie Mac in one of his last film roles. Bruce Willis is in it. The Olsen twins are in this. Shia, Shia LaBeouf is in it. As best I can manage, here's what happens in this movie. Okay, for reasons that are not explained, the U.S. government has put all of the names and identities of people in the Witness Protection Program, so their true identities, onto two rings. The way you access this information is you have to put these two fashion accessories together and then it reveals the information. So people keep trying to steal these rings and then there are a bunch of twists that I'm just jumping over because we can't be here all night. And then eventually somebody does steal the rings. Then it turns out that Drew Barrymore... <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> then it turns out that Drew Barrymore's character was once in the Witness Protection Program and has now been revealed... Then Matt LeBlanc is in it. Then Luke Perry's in it. Then there's a musical number. Anyway, then they find the rings. Then they lose them again. Then they find them again because it turns out (laughs) their ex, Charlie's Angel, Demi Moore, whose character name is Madison Lee or I want to make it clear, Cash is actually reading from notes right now. Like, this is not her going off... On a tangent. Yeah, this tr- is the effort of someone who truly tried, I tried to, to write this plot. down. And this is what it sounds like. Okay, so then Demi Moore turns the ex-Charlie's Angels. Demi Moore stole them. We know she's a bad Charlie's Angel because she carries a gun and because she's 40. The Angels get them back. Also, Demi Moore has a cardigan that lets her fly. Uh, they don't kill Demi Moore because they don't believe in death, but they appear to send her to <laughs> literal hell. Like, they kick her through the floor, and she descends into a fiery pit, and then the movie ends. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth in the Mission Impossible movie starring Tom Cruise. The, like, excuse of a plot this movie has is three plutonium balls. This terrorist organization wants them. The IMF wants to keep them away from the terrorists. Shenanigans ensue. And basically, the movie's real thematic interest is in Ethan Hunt's love life. Can this super spy have a relationship without dooming the woman he loves? And the movie decides that maybe yes. But basically, there's just a series of action sequences that take place in Paris, London, and the finale in Kashmir. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. Truly, the plot is not that important or sophisticated. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to prevent the apostles from acquiring plutonium using any means at your disposal. When I go to see a Mission Impossible movie, because, you know, it is its own institution at this point, and I mm-hmm. think it really, maybe more so than even things like Terminator or Fast and the Furious, like, it, it is like the er 
horror action film franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I expect long, drawn-out, satisfying action sequences where we expect that it plays out almost in real time. Mm-hmm. Like you're running and you've, you're with the character as they run, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. In Mission Impossible 6, there's lots of that. We're like with Tom Cruise as he runs across a rooftop. Yeah. There's an immediacy and there's almost this collapse between you as the spectator in awe, admiring the really perverse lengths to which Tom Cruise is endangering himself, but also yeah. feeling like you are Ethan Hunt. Yes. Like you are sucked into the fantasy. And this Cruise is, I think that's such an important part about why Tom Cruise is so popular now as an action star, who's basically just a stuntman. That the famous thing he does is that he always does his own stunts, and all that stuff like makes that immediacy that much more yes. heightened. You really need to build things up. You need like a lot of anticipation before the release. And there needs to be like a real sense of payoff when something big happens. And I think Mission Impossible does that really well. So one of the things we mentioned was duration. I mean, to really take the word action, what does it mean to be doing something for long periods of time or a period of time? Mm -hmm. And then the relief scenes are often just like short like moments as well. They also have their own kind of like weird temporality. Tense chase scene, Oh, everyone's fine. Breath. But Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, I think, is one of the strangest (laughs) paced films. So I watched this movie with my boyfriend. So Chris said, this movie is like a trailer of itself. (laughs) Which is kind of accurate. Like It's a highlight reel. Yeah, Yeah. it's a highlight reel, but then at some point you're like, oh, this is the whole movie. Yeah, you kind of keep waiting for like the real plot to kick in and, and, yeah. and the like the cold open to stop but it never does never <laughs> like they have ostensibly this trying to get these rings back and the things that happen because of that but but there's not enough um setup payoff like formula to make it seem like it's leading anywhere it just seems to be this like I one feel... one misadventure another misadventure so here's where i feel frustration with the kind of stringing together of really just like instagram stories is how it felt Every set piece was just an excuse to put them in a different sexy outfit that were like, and like, it's not like I'm going to be some sort of downer about looking sexy, but it really felt male gazy to me a lot of the time. So it was like, if you go into like a sex shop and you go to the costume wall, there's these like sexed up visions of these different occupations. And it felt like they just bought them en masse Mm -hmm. and then put these three women in them. And then there's like a tiny bit of plot. And then you see them in the next costume. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things I think that really contributed to that feeling, because I felt it too, was Mission Impossible is really concerned about the effort put in, that that Ethan puts into everything that he does. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this crosses over into like Tom Cruise is an actor, that he's actually doing these stunts, but Ethan is effortful Mm -hmm. when he... Um, is worried about his marriage or his other relationships, like that causes him a lot of strife. When he has to go defuse a bomb, he's going to like give it his all and like you're going to see every moment of that. And it's a bit that it gets a bit like procedurally or like insider mm-hmm. baseball about spine, spidum, right? That it's like, these are, these are the tools that he has and this is like the problem that he has to solve and this is how he solves it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like really invested in that process. Yeah. And Charlie's Angels is not at all. We see them get these tasks, and then the next scene is that they, they've either already got it or they're like in we're in medias res of them getting it. Right, um, well, and they're yeah. already in these costumes. Totally. And so they come across more as costumes than as something they inhabit. They're they don't really seem like working spies. They seem very decorative. Like, decorative. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast just raging about this movie. <laughs> you hated it that much. I did. I felt, One of my notes here is, this is almost unwatchably bad. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing I will say in defense of Charlie's Angels. And this is because you said this thing, Ronnie, that kind of like switched my thoughts a little bit. So we were talking about how Charlie's Angels feels more like a fantasy mm-hmm. than does... Mission Impossible. Even though they both are fantasies. Exactly. Even though they both are fantasies. And the kind of attempt at what we are meant to see as verisimilitude in Mission Impossible is really kind of like, if I think about it a little bit, it's kind of like a gross aggro boy fantasy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, Tom Cruise, man, muscles, I jump across roof. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, I like that Charlie's Angels plays with the fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's like, these are both fantasies, but one of them is just not is open with it and I, I like that I do think it matters what kind of fantasy you put out there too right yes I think that's like the next level you're right the next question to ask is okay so then what is the fantasy because they're not the same fantasy I don't think and what yeah what are you what are these films invested in and I think they are both what they're invested in is pernicious in different ways that yes Mission Impossible is invested in this like story of this individual man who mm-hmm. is both like a steward uh, of the world and of the woman around him, but also like a slightly a renegade, but not that much. Like it is a, mm-hmm. it is a male fantasy that, that wraps itself very like cleverly and effectively in the fact that action movies in the end are about what characters do. So if this character is actually doing it, this actor is actually doing this thing, then and it has this, this immediate authenticity that allows you to swallow the rest of it as real as well. But then I think about what Charlie's Angels is selling or investing in, and it's um, it's an image of, of like empowered womanhood that is like completely hollowed out up until its very edges. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be maybe worse to me in some ways. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I hear it all too. Basically, my way of looking at Charlie's Angels is not as like a serious action movie that wants you to care about its protagonist. It's as like a beautiful, superficial campy movie a movie that really embraces its own status as artificial and uh, fantastical it does that in a way that gives me two things the first is a profound sense of joy i think that the women with their ability to mesh into any social landscape with their seemingly endless pit of skills and knowledge and costumes adaptability costumes unencumberedness licks a substance she scrapes off a wall and goes Mm, pineapple sex wax bought three days ago from this shop. To me, that places me in a world where that is possible. Mm-hmm. And it places me in a world where someone can be glamorous and sexy and athletic and very knowledgeable. And I will undermine myself very quickly because I know that is a flawed argument. But the other thing that this movie really gives me is a sense of, um, of femininity as masquerade, femininity as performance. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I do find it a little cathartic because mm-hmm. as much as this is a male fantasy blown up, I do appreciate the exaggeration. Like right. this is a male fantasy that knows it's a male fantasy and is almost reaching out to the female audience to be like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And this is just that ridiculousness dialed up to 11. And there's also a part of me that finds it interesting that in the scene where Drew Barrymore confronts her abusive ex-boyfriend, the girls are in the most normal clothing they wear in the whole movie, Mm. which makes me think that there's like this kernel of interest in a real problem that might be faced. And by toning down the wardrobe, you like get an idea that maybe this is worth taking a little bit seriously before the angels fall back into that other world 
where they are completely free, which I think is really nicely symbolized by the wire work. That was such like a thoughtful thing to say. I'm just gonna ruin it by pointing out my favorite dumb thing that happened. Go for <laughs> it. No, the dumb is worth reveling in. Oh my god. It's when Drew Dylan, Drew Barrymore's character, is reminiscing about her relationship with something O'Grady, Justin Theroux. Mm. And she says, We used to love driving around, listening to metal. And it cuts to a scene where they're listening to John Bon Jovi living on a prayer, full blast of their car. And I was like, this metal. is supposed to be metal. Do you think that the movie was like in on that? If you're in on this, this is hilarious. <laughs> if you're not in on this, this is maybe more funny. And that's the paradox at the heart of camp. Is it intentional or is mm-hmm. it unintentional? Mm-hmm. And the like real beauty in camp is that even if it's unintentional, you love it all the more. And then as a viewer, you become the action hero because you can recuperate it and say, I love you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, I know, and I get the camp of it, and I yeah. like the camp of it, but it almost doesn't fail enough. There's, its yeah. edges are too polished. Its answers come too easily. It doesn't allow itself to like get there. Yeah, and where it is really clueless comes out in press interviews about the movie, where multiple stars and the director make such a point of saying, you know, the angels are sexy and glamorous, and we don't want to mail bash. They really have to defend this movie by saying Mm -hmm. there's no male bashing. In true to form, there's very little. The movie takes great pains to refuse to acknowledge the patriarchy. So now we're going to talk about character and issues of characterization. I just really wanted to see women doing their work. I love Mm -hmm. seeing people who are good at their jobs. And I think the movie, in shying away from that and focusing only on results, it it loses a lot of characterization. Dylan's the rock one. Uh, Natalie... It's goofy. Yeah. And sexy and blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're infantilized kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Sexualized and infantilized in the way that patriarchy kind of always does. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we see this most clearly is um, they are loyal to Charlie without any questions. Mm-hmm. I was astounded on this viewing of it that the movie never questions or pokes fun at the fact that they are these like empowered women answering to a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just completely accepts it and does not critique it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I get th- think this goes back to the movies like sort of not male bashing. The reason we can be like sexy empowered women is because we're all like hot as balls and not afraid to show it off. And also because at the end of the day, we will do whatever this guy tells us. Mm-hmm. And since they're all straight, like it really, mm-hmm. the movie goes to such lengths to neutralize any potential transgression. Part of the reason you know that Demi Moore's character is bad is because she does some things that could be read as queer. But, like, that's part of her being a bad guy. And there is some empathy towards her Mm -hmm. and the fact that she wants to get out on her own and be an individual and obviously get from, like, out under the thumb of Charlie. But we see so little of her as a villain. We see her introductory scene, and then we basically just see her when she's revealed as a villain. That's it. It's almost like the movie is afraid to have her around long enough for people to start being like, well, yeah, wait, it is kind of fucked up that they do this, you know? Yeah, the movie entertains all these problems with its central premise through Madison Lee and really seems to, like, shy away from actually thinking about them. Mm -hmm. Also, for example, she has this terrible origin story where one of the reasons why she turns on Charlie is this woman gets shot three times in the chest, also has a bikini scene, no scars, just gonna say. But basically, this woman is maimed because this man has mismanaged his workers. And um, 
yeah, buddy, fair enough. Work yeah. for yourself. But yeah. instead, it's she's positioned as as bad as breaking up their friendship. All all this stuff. Disobedience. Yeah. Her act of resistance towards this like dude who treats her badly mm-hmm. is immediately transformed into like a betrayal of women, mm-hmm. yeah. which is like messed up. Um, another thing I wanted to no- note just while we're talking about characters and the kind of neutralization of any threat and being careful not to male bash in Charlie's Angels is um, I was really struck by how often the three women are in situations that in almost any other movie I would read as very scary and dangerous where they are like in sexual danger. Like Mm -hmm. they're in a bar full of drunk men Mm -hmm. and they're there and they're the only woman and they're scantily clad in order to cultivate that attention. Yeah. And that happens over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. With Uh, no consequence, with no... Not even no consequences, but no threat. Yeah. Like there's, and I was watching it and I was like, I mean, I live in this world. That would be terrifying. No matter how capable you are, that would be a, a situation of hypervigilance. They're always putting themselves in positions of like, positions of sexual danger, but then there is no sexual danger. And this is a big part of the fantasy. You could be mm-hmm. allowed to express your sexuality and manipulate men and face no actual consequences. Yeah. Places where I actually found the fantasy less malignant more benign i don't yeah. want, i don't want to say that it was good because i think that it just denies like very real truths that can be examined mm-hmm. but yeah to imagine a world that like doesn't depend on just a response to dominant culture like maybe a world without that kind of threat is one of those things like if you can imagine a fantasy where that's mm-hmm. not even a thing that happens mm-hmm. this and the fact that the girls are able to carry on romantic relationships without it having that much effect on their Mm -hmm. personal or professional lives. It's one of those things where like, okay, Ethan spends all of Mission Impossible just tortured about how can he, how can he have it all? He can't be married and be a spy. Mm -hmm, And and Charlie's Angels just kind of like doesn't care about that, Mm -hmm. that question in a way that, again, I think is not very not realistic and not dealing with real problems that women do have to face, but at the same time, it's like, could be a possibly good part of that fantasy. Yeah, there's like a real sense of um, joyful escapism in some of those scenes, Mm -hmm. even if they are often founded on like pretty intense racism. Because the mobs of of threatening men are always Irish, Irish. Mongolian. Mm -hmm. Bernie Mac is used in like a very upsetting way. If the women in the movie are infantilized, then Bernie Mac is made into a minstrel. Yeah. And that's hard to watch. It occurs to me that literally everyone is dialed up to 11. The Irish guy is like a fucking leprechaun with a shamrock on his head. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Charlie is the benevolent patriarch whose force is known, though he is never seen. Like, he kind of is the soul of patriarchy. His voice comes through a box yeah. and you suddenly find yourself obeying him, even though you think you're empowered. And I would even say, like, white patriarchy. Because yes. you could, I guess, you could make a claim that he we don't see him, but, like, that's almost... Oh, he's clearly white, yeah. And, and that is almost the, like, insidious quality of, of whiteness right is that it is always the default it's always mm-hmm. the invisible thing yeah. like charlie in in being invisible like is white mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> i guess the last thing i would say is that i just want to make sure i mentioned that part of the reason we chose charlie's angels is because all three of us love action movies like we love them and charlie's I mean, angels is an action movie that is specifically geared towards women at least nominally and yet when i watched this I was like, here I am, a feminist who thinks things, who also loves some good trash. And I was like, I am not enjoying this. I Mm -hmm. do not feel like this movie is capturing what I want from an action movie. 
And then I watched Mission Impossible, and I was like, this is very enjoyable to me. So maybe we can talk about the characterization in Mission Impossible. Yeah, let's then. switch. In being like a very like er action franchise, and Mission Impossible really does rely on formula and on archetype. You have Ethan, the the the, the supreme individual. Mm-hmm. I noticed when he, I mean, the the films like make kind of a lot of him going, you know, renegade or rogue or whatever, but he, <laughs> it's never that much. And in Fallout. All the scenes where it seems like he's going rogue and he's a loose cannon, they're all they're all fake outs. Mm-hmm. They're all um, scenarios they've constructed for like a villain to make them think that Ethan's getting mad at someone, but he's not. So he's this like authority figure in the end, right? Whose judgment we trust and who works like maybe on the margins of the law, but who's really actually inside of it. Yeah, and the movie flirts with this, right? So there's a sequence where um, Henry Cable is trying to set up uh, an Ethan Hunt as the bad guy. And he says like, think about what has happened to Ethan Hunt over the course of this franchise. This guy gets disavowed by his own bosses every fucking movie and then goes back to work. Mm -hmm. And this is the plot of like, I don't know, four out of six movies. (laughs) And apparently the director was like, you know, we kept working on the script and we had this angle where we wanted Ethan to go dark, but we decided not to go there. He's never even tempted by darkness. Mm -hmm. I mean, he feels dark and sad sometimes, but He's not. He's not tempted yeah, by... I think this feeds into my theory that Ethan Hunt and the Charlie's Angels are only aesthetically different. The world of Charlie's Angels looks more looks simpler than the world of Ethan Hunt. But in Mission Impossible, the plots are so convoluted and there are so many fake-outs and twists and blah, 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 that like it seems more complex. But ultimately, these are both movies where the main characters are incredibly obedient to authority good morning angels good morning charlie i have a section of notes called the goodness of ethan because he's a force of good in this movie so ethan yes. saves uh, luther at the very beginning mm-hmm. and that this is a theme that is picked up throughout the movie ethan would rather save one person than risk the lives of a million he's not smug or he doesn't have a lot of bravado <laughs> Cash and I were talking about this. Humility, yeah. We watched a scene from the first Mission Impossible when Tom Cruise was like a little young whippersnapper and he's just like flirting. Before he'd been fully neutered by Scientology. Very James Bondy. Very James Bondy, very like rascally. But basically, Ethan in Mission Impossible 1 is like kind of a sexy bad boy. And by Mission Impossible 6, he just reminds me of like a father with eight children who needs to get them to their lessons, make sure they're not in trouble. Like Ethan is just beset by dependence and he's trying his best. Like the the line he repeats in this movie is, I'm working on it. Like, you were talking about process. This is a man in process. (laughs) I love this take on an action hero. It's like, I'm genuinely stressed. Everyone is depending on me. And it's kind of a lot. Like, it's not effortless. Mm -hmm. He has a a real sense of um, accountability to protect the people in his care. Which, you know, you honestly could say the same thing about Charlie's Angels. One of the things that I think is genuinely nice about this movie is the fact that the three women are not presented as in competition with each other yes. mm-hmm. and are instead presented as responsible for one another in the best way. And, and that they assume responsibility for these two friends that they love so that they function like a family. I also think that unlike in Mission Impossible, there is no clear leader with them besides Charlie. But in Ethan's team, he is the one that they look to. He's and dad. And there's no, there's no corresponding role. Um, that's actually quite interesting to think about is how similar the characters are in terms of like the action heroes. And then it makes me feel like if 
Charlie's Angels had had one good action sequence that had paid off, I feel like I would have responded so differently to it. But it doesn't. And this makes yeah. me think that it might have been a weird decision to choose Charlie's Angels just because I'm not sure if it's an action movie. I'm I think it might be a, co- it. a sketch comedy pastiche send-up that has elements of, of action, action in there. I think it might be like yeah. a buddy cop movie kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the I heat don't or something. Know if it's an action movie. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we should talk about Rebecca Ferguson in Mission Impossible. Yes, I have something to say about her. Great. She wears a really ugly and badly fitting brown suit. And in the previous movie, she wore that yellow dress, Oh, right? that's chartreuse dress when she's climbing up the opera house. Ooh, I'm fascinated by, by the brown suit. I think it is such a weird gesture of, like, you're part of the club. You don't have to wear an uncomfortable dress. Unlike Charlie's Angels, where it's like, you have to be dressed the nines all the time. It's like a very like maybe work a day thing, right? And her hair is pulled back. She's like, not it's there not to be the sexy. Mm-hmm. So I kept looking at it like, oh, that's a <laughs> miss. Swing and a miss. <laughs> but I'm not sure if they swung. They didn't right. feel that she had to get more dressed up mm-hmm. than Luther. When Ethan has saved the world yet again. Mm. And he comes to and his ex-wife is looming over him. And they have this very sweet moment where... He doesn't ask her to like reaffirm that she'd like to be with him. He asks her, are you happy? And she's like, yeah, I am. And they have this great moment where she just gives a real sense of this character having a backstory that began with her in a sense with her marriage to Ethan Hunt, but has continued developing and moving on without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they like allow that character to have space to have this thing where she's like, I'm doing this job. I love this job. I don't know if I would have found this job if it had not been the situation with you, and I'm really happy doing it. And that is more complex backstory than we get in all of Charlie's Angels for any of them. I know that Charlie's Angels is not trying to give us complex backstory. That's not its goal. But I still felt like this is like a full moment with someone with a rich interior life. Yes. And... Probably, if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in women in film, you probably are familiar with the term fridging. Basically, it's the idea that for a male character to have real profound thoughts Mm. and deep, deep feelings, basically a woman has to die. In Mission Impossible 3, they don't do that to Julia, but she is definitely around as like a really cool and great lady. She's a doctor, but her real arc is that being married to her changes Ethan's life, Mm -hmm. and she ends up getting taken hostage, and the movie concludes with her you know, helping break out with Ethan, but she's also quite secondary. And in Mission Impossible 6, I really like that they kind of put her in a similar situation. She's basically the lure or the bait to get Mm -hmm. Ethan to a particular place. But when the shit hits the fan, she decides to stay and help save the day. She's an active part of resolving this movie's tension rather than an impediment to it or or a facilitation of that tension. And um, yeah, that scene where they have their little reconciliation The movie celebrates Ethan for being able to have deep thoughts without needing his wife to die. Yes. Right. And have deep thoughts while she is happy. In in the third one, it is still very dependent on her pain, right? But in this, yeah, it ends with him knowing she is happy. And like that is in, it, is in itself like a motivation or like a part of him yeah. rather than her like the threat to her. Sometimes when media talks about the desire to have like a feminist perspective in movies, they often use the shorthand strong female characters. Yeah. The three Charlie's Angels are textbook 
strong female characters mm-hmm. from this point of view. I don't think that a strong female character is what makes a movie feminist. It's how you treat the women characters when they are on screen. The other interesting thing that uh, Mission Impossible 6 does about female characters is Ethan has almost like a premonition-y dream of the way a particular sequence will go through. He foresees the people who want to make an exchange will meet, and then they'll have to kill all the cops that witness it. And Ethan has this premonition that he'll be staring down at a, you know, your average Joe cop, blonde hair, blue eyes, cowering beneath him, and Ethan's going to have to shoot him. And when that situation does occur, he's startled to find that the cop is a woman. So it's almost like Ethan is taken by surprise in the ways that action movies by default assume male characters Mm -hmm. and encounter female characters and are sort of taken aback at what to do with them. And who is, who's also incredibly brave by the standards of the film. She sees uh, Ethan and his cohort like trying to do something illegal and he keeps telling her to to walk away and that she needs to walk and she won't. She does what he would do in that situation, which is Mm -hmm. stay and try and like face who, the evil. Let's talk about some bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I have a confession. I've been holding this in the whole time. When I watched Charlie's Angels for the, for the second time, <laughs> after, you know, being 12 years old and watching it, mm-hmm. I was, you know, bopping along for sort of 20 minutes. Okay. And then Dylan, Drew Barrymore's character, mentioned she had this ex-boyfriend, and we get this flashback. And then you get the scene where Justin Theroux um, is, is like doing sit-ups in a prison. I had completely forgotten this, but I had the biggest crush on this character judging when you. I saw this. Oh, I know. judging you I know. hard. I know. Whoa! How the fuck did I have a huge crush <laughs> on this character? Like, what? And then he kept coming on screen and I'd be like, oh God. I remember <laughs> being so turned on. It's kind of surprising that... When he walks on screen, like Lucky Charms aren't just in the background <laughs> dancing or something. Yeah, also, like the poems are constantly playing every time he enters. See, like a bewitched song. Say you will, oh. say you'll you do. Some people say I look like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where he got his accent. Just listening to the bewitched. witch on repeat. Oh my god. Things he learned in prison, going from apparently like a meathead who liked John Bon Jovi and thought it was metal, he learned sword fighting. He he also learned how to walk through fire. He got some extremely ineffective suspenders. When he was like, started fighting her with the sword, I was like, did you learn this in prison? This is traditional Irish fighting, Catherine. Educate yourself. I mean, what, the one thing I wanted to say about bad guys is that both of these movies are really obedient to authority. Even if on the surface they appear to be operating at the margins of or outside of the law, they are ultimately like really within the system. Yeah. And the bad guys are always the people who genuinely threaten the system. Mm-hmm. And it's in encountering the bad guys that we really see like kind of the true D&D alignment of these characters, which is always chaotic good. I mean, I would even argue lawful good. Yeah. Both these films, like, make only kind of, like, half-hearted attempts at being beyond the law. It's more about convenience of movement, and then everything else is lawful. Yeah, it's, like, all the adherence to the law with none of the red tape. I think this might have something to do with the fact that our three angels have never been done wrong by the law. When Dylan is in a bad relationship, the Witness Protection Program takes care of her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, again, it's in that fantasy of, like, the law is not on these men's side either. And even though we said Charlie's Angels isn't an action movie, I'm seeing more and more connections between the two. The bad guys are never just people that question authority, because that always ends up being a smokescreen for, like, pure sadism. Like, they're never villains that the audience could even remotely choose to side with. Because they're out to, like, destroy things for the sake of destruction. 
a scary villain for these movies is one where the viewers might choose to identify with the villain, where their critiques are valid. Yeah. But in both of these films, the villain's kind of social critique ends up being like a thin veil over just straight evil. And so then, like, their yeah. desire to challenge yeah. the system Megalomania is, is or... so closely associated with evil yeah. that the two become interwoven. You may think that what you want is to, like, destroy a system, or you may think that what you want is to, like, be an individual beyond Charlie, but the minute you start thinking those things, what you're actually doing is being selfish and being mm-hmm. egotistical yeah. mm-hmm. and being and being evil. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't even allow you to make those agitating critiques. The only critiques you can make... Um, in Mission Impossible are like ones that are tricks. He tricks Walker in this way. He like pretends that he's being loose cannon, but he's not really. Mm-hmm. Or if you're Dylan, she goes off on her own because she feels like she's going to hurt them. Yeah. Her breaking out is actually um, selfless. And one of the repeated things in the Mission Impossible franchise is that the IMF is threatened to be dissolved. So the yeah. system is going to be dissolved. And the like the lawful, like the good conclusion is over and over that this IMF system is reinstalled and protected. Even though movies do have this fascination with how cruelly the IMF treats Ethan. Mm -hmm. And in Mission Impossible 6, you see the fallout on Rebecca Ferguson, Ilsa Faust, where she thinks she has already settled a score and her employers have said, nope, we got, we need you to do like more dangerous Mm -hmm. and terrible things. And you see the toll that takes, but the movie really doesn't entertain that. Basically we end up where like any critique, even like from Ethan or a villain Mm -hmm. ends up focusing on the individual. Um, But it doesn't actually like put any of that pressure on the system itself. Madison Lee. Why? Why be an angel when I can play God? Okay, so the the categories to be awarded today are most kick-ass, most satisfying fight, and most troubling. Let's start okay. with best uh, fight. I'm wondering if we have the same one. Hands down, the bathroom fight scene in Mission That's Russell mine Sex. too, the bathroom fight scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so... And this is, this is where I think Henry Cavill's worth his weight in gold, and I still say that he's actually the only time hot in this movie. But he... He's like huge. The raw and, force yes. that yes. they make yes. him have in that scene. You're like... So my favorite, it's not an action sequence per se, but it's the halo jump, where honestly the bad guy could be dispatched because he's an idiot. If Ethan didn't have such a pure soul and save this man who has been nothing but rude to him, (laughs) just let him die. The movie would end it right there. What is valued in Ethan in Mission Impossible, I think, is the same thing that is valued in Lizzie Bennet in Pride and Prejudice. Keep going. <laughs> but it is a character who is able to, to understand the rules and follow them where necessary, but to apply the correct judgment on when to transgress them. Mm. So in that Halo jump scene, Henry Cavill's character is, again, too much of an individual. He is like the Lydia Bennett in that scenario. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do whatever. <laughs> and he gets punished for it. Tom Cruise, <laughs> but Tom... this is the dub I need. <laughs> but Tom Cruise is like, no, no, no. We need to follow the rules. I know what is happening here. I can understand this. I can, and so I can move within it. And I'm going to help you. But in other scenes, he can say, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. I understand it well enough to move away from it. Yeah, it's the exact same, like ultimately conservative vision of a hero that allows some illusion of flexibility and. Um, rebellion. 
What's the most troubling all of Charlie's problem here for us to deal? I with? I mean, my weird crush on Justin Theroux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we all have our blind spots. Um, my deeper, most troubling is the structure of both and their adherence to the status quo. Yeah, a genre thing too, as we've been talking. I was going to ask: Is that something that happens in most action movies? I think it is. You I need to so. restore the order at yes. the end. That's what makes for a satisfying ending. I think that there are some action movies where the established system is the antagonist. The success is then in hiding or escaping it. I think yeah. that those exist. I like can't... foreign identity. The problem is the fact that he has been mm-hmm. abused so powerfully by his own government. And Jean-Luc Like, Jean. adaptations. Jean. Like Tinker Tailor um, Soldier yes. Spy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spy who came in from the cold. Those are, yeah. those are all about, like, tearing Ooh. down. Like, here we are after the Cold War. Everything is fucked. Everyone has been used... How do you live in this world? Yeah. Um, and it, they're not about rebuilding. They're about like recording the trauma of that. Yeah. I think that there are some that do that, but yeah. not, they're not the blockbuster ones. I think they're subgenres of action movies for the most part. As with anything that takes that much money and needs that many levels of bureaucratic approval to get made, they're conservative. They are, they are yeah. invested in keeping people as far away from unease as possible. And that means resolution and like dominant thought, I think. Yeah, I guess for me, most troubling is definitely my memory of watching this movie and Mm -hmm. having a great time and being like, this is so campy and delicious. And then augmenting that rosy opinion and realizing that this movie might appropriate camp aesthetics more than replicate camp's political purpose. Yeah, I think that's And that's kind of upsetting and Mm -hmm. disappointing. Mm -hmm. For those of you remaining, which is probably us, one of the things we do at the end of every podcast is that we try to be a bit thoughtful and critique in a productive way, the approach we just took. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are some things that might be worth noting about the approach we just took to these two movies? Immediately, my my question is, why did we choose movies with only white people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wonder, how would our discussion change if we had compared Charlie's Angels or Mission Impossible to... I don't know, a Pam Greer movie from the 70s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could have done Jackie Brown. Yeah, Jackie Brown mm-hmm. from the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bad Boys, a blockbuster yeah. action movie with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Good on Shaft. In our attempt to discuss the connections between them without just treating Charlie's Angels as a response to the kind of movie that Mission Impossible is, we then didn't give the airtime to more alternative visions of action movies or of the kind of fantasy that an action movie entails. That's another thing that I think in the past we, we, don't have, want to we wanted to overcome. center what's already yes. centered. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And act like everything we talk about is only deviation from that center. And yeah. so if we were to do something that wasn't blockbustery, that wasn't white, that wasn't hetero, um, I would want to take it on its own terms. All right, this has been Citizen Jane, the Citizen Kane of podcasts. Tweet us. We, as you can see in like our little thing at the end where we reflect, try to reflect critically on what we did. Um, in doing this, we don't want to do the kind of like master narrative of like, we've done the correct reading. So let us know if there's something we missed or you want to add. Or... Unless you're a brony, we don't want to hear from you then. But other than no, that, thank you. Fine. <laughs>